Isn't that good? I like that. We're in Romans 10, and we're going to pick up uh, where we left off last week. We're about uh, verse 8 is where we are. And um, let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Lord, as we begin this morning, we begin as a people who come into this room hungry. Whether we know it or not, uh, our hunger is not for food. Maybe it is, but our hunger And Lord, as we uh, begin this morning, just ask that you would... Uh, that you would give us your food, the good food, uh, the word of life. Lord, uh, these words are, 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 are heavy sometimes, and yet, Lord, as they get into us, they really help us think about who we are, what it means to belong to you. Lord, be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, let's say it together. Amen. I'm going to start with this word up here, bridge. Should I think of bridges this morning? Maybe a good way to jump back into Romans chapter 10. Um, we've got bridges here in Nebraska that take you from point A to point B, get you across maybe a hurdle. Um, where Ann's parents live, it's, it's kind of a different situation. They have the bridges that are kind of the, uh, take you across the, the ocean. So they go like that. So I always think of it this way. Bridges can work two ways, right? Uh, if you happen to be coming down the highway and the bridge goes, uh, you aren't going across, right? It you know, stops you from going across. Once it comes back down, zzz, here you go. Now we can go across. So it's interested me that in the Catholic Church, the Pope is technically referred to as the bridge. Uh, the Latin term for bridge is pontifex. And so when you call the Pope the pontifex maximus, you're saying you are the maximum, the bridge. And, of course, Roman Catholic theology believes that there is an unbroken succession uh, apostolic power that began with, with Peter. And that now continues uh, to be passed down through, through the Pope. And think about that now. The Pope is, is our bridge to, to God. Um, Luther, in the 1500s, came, came out and said, well, if that's true, guess what? The bridge is broken. Because the Pope's a man. And when he speaks, you say that he speaks as God. I say he speaks as man. His words must be measured against the word of God. My words must be measured against the word of God. Anyone's words must be measured against the word of God. And so Luther actually went so far as to say, I think that the, that the Pope actually is a kind of bridge that stops people actually gets in the way of people coming across and coming to know who Jesus Christ is. Always makes me think about myself. I don't want to live as a person who gets in the way of others knowing Jesus Christ. I want to live as a person who can say, well, I, I have no words to bring you. I have no words to bring you that are, that are of me. I have great words to bring you that are of God because I believe that that's, that's the way that God that the way that God works. Our bridge is different. Our pontifex is Jesus Christ. There is no way to get to God other than Jesus Christ. And uh, so I sometimes think of it this way, that Jesus is our bridge. You and I are what I call little bridges. And the question that's being raised is, are you open or are you a closed bridge? Go to Romans chapter 10, verse 8, and you'll pick up what I'm what I'm talking about here. It's kind of a good image to, to get us back into this. 
Um, verse number eight says, what does it say? Word, the word is near you. The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. Uh, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, Paul is saying to the church, church, our job, our mission in life is to bring a word that does what? It, it impacts us. It saves us. It changes our hearts. And then it causes us to become new people. I, I, my heart is changed. Outwardly, I begin to confess God as my Savior. I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I will, conf I will confess him and confess him boldly in a way that stands for what he stands for. And um, I was thinking about this. I don't want to get too far off of where a bold, kind of a bold moment um, here this past week. Uh, we're in the middle of an election. And I don't want to get political here. It's not my intention. But there, there's, a, there's a theology involved, right? And I think it's kind of a bold moment when somebody stands up and says, uh, I oppose, and, and I agree with this, I oppose, uh, any, any political position that allows for the, the murder, and I'll use that word, police, right? That police person murdered that person. Well, then let's, let's use the word properly in its context. How do we allow for the murder of unborn children? So that's what it is. It's murder. We, we, someone came up with a fancy word. It's abortion. I'm like, no, it's not. We're not having it. We're having, we're, having, we're having murders. That's what we're having. And uh, anytime you live in a country where, hey, let's, let's murder millions and millions of children. And, and then let's tell God, because it's my right. Um, you, you should expect the wrath of God, right? Yeah, expect it. Because the wrath is meant to do what? To discipline, to bring people back to truth. And so I thought it was a bold moment when, when folks are able to stand up and say, um, nothing to do with the, the, the persons, but here's, here's the reality is, is we, we believe something to be true. If I... If my heart is changed, I believe with my heart. I confess with my mouth. In an unashamed way, I confess with my mouth. This is the truth of God. Because until I bring the truth of God to people, they cannot, they cannot be saved. And this is what Paul is encouraging the church in Rome to do, is think about who we are. Um, he, he continues that thought just simply. He says, for with the heart one believes and is justified... Right? That's faith. That's what the product of faith. And though with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls upon the name of of the Lord will be saved. And again, what is, what's Paul trying to do here? He's got a church. He's trying to send them out into the world. There's a recognition that the, the church is primarily made up of, of Jewish people who forever have seen the Gentiles as others. They're not. Um, they're 
theologically not clean. And so what Paul has been doing all the way up to this point is trying to say, look, there's no distinction between any of us, right? No distinction between any of us. Uh, we go out into the world to, to now Gentiles with a gospel that is centered in the truth of Jesus Christ with a desire that people's hearts are changed and they are able to confess Jesus Christ with their mouth. So what does it look like? Um, I want to pull up verses 14 and, and following some, really some of my, my favorite words of scripture. Um, I've stared, I've stared at him a little bit in, in seminary campus uh, in St. Louis. There's the chapel where they have worship. And then there's the chapel. It's little, it's tiny. You have to look for it. It's kind of hidden under this big tower called Luther's Tower. It's probably got room for 10, 12 people in it. When you walk into that little chapel, there's always a, a, a the eternal flame is always it's always burning. Doesn't never go out like it does in Lutheran churches. Cheap Lutherans, got to keep the candle going, right? About, uh, but no. And then there's there's words that surround you, and the words that surround you are these words. And they're, they're meant to, to soak into you at some point when you go into that chapel. A lot of times you go in there just to, you're not going to go pray. And so your heart may be heavy. And so you, you go in there and you, you bow down and you begin to pray. At some point, if you've been in that chapel enough, I've been in it many, many times, you, you start to look around and go, oh, look, I'm surrounded by a word. What is that word saying to me? This is what it says. Um, this is kind of the how question. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Think about that. How will you call upon God? He's just said, I confess with my mouth. How will you confess? How will you have faith? How then will they call upon him in whom they have not believed? When I go out into the world and I meet all kinds of people, I, I don't expect them to be correct. Right. Um, there are many folks who I'm I'm constantly in communication with that they're not calling on the name of the Lord because they don't know there is no faith there. And uh, sometimes we almost act surprised when people do things or say things and we're like, oh, my gosh, how can they say that? How can they do that? They're apart from faith. They're apart from faith. And uh, so the question being asked is, how, how are these people going to be brought uh, to faith? Keep reading. They believe in him um, who they've never heard. And, and how are they to hear? I'm going to read from the ESV. I want to see if there's any other translation. So kind of look at your Bible. Tell me if there's a different translation here. How are they to hear without someone preaching? That's the ESV. How are they to hear without someone preaching? Anyone have a different translation? Larry? How then are they to call upon him in whom they have not believed? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Keep reading just a little bit further. But how are they to believe him whom they have not heard? Okay. And how are they to hear if no 
one preaches. Preaches, okay. There's a reason I want to sit on that for a minute because I'm back in that chapel, right? And I'm at seminary. I'm studying to become what? A preacher. And so surrounded by this word that's intended to say to me, hey, what, why, why would God call you to be a, 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 who, you, who you are? What's your function? What's your role as you go out? Seminary into the world. You, you are to preach. But, but sometimes I think we, we kind of look at this word and describe it to someone like me where, I really want you to hear it a little tiny bit differently today because I, I really believe that this, this word, how are they to hear without someone preaching, actually applies as much to you as it does to me. Okay, So I want you to hear this word a little bit differently. The, um, the word that's used in the Greek here is the term keruso, keruso. Right, and I made a little note note to myself. Think about two boys in a Lincoln jail, because uh, I want to make this I want to make this point stick. Um, this week, Friday night, watching the news, and uh, all of a sudden, there this doesn't happen very often. There's a, a story about a police officer, Lincoln, who's been shot, and. Um, you know, they tell the story of the officer, and he's, he's, he's there to serve a warrant uh, against a, a, a young man. And the, the young men see him. He's not dressed in a uniform, right, Jason? He was in his, his private clothes. The bad news is he didn't, have a vet, he didn't have a vest on. And all of a sudden, here comes this, this kid jumping out of the window, bam, shooting, shooting, and he's shot. When you watch a story like that, What's your first re reaction? I mean, just kind of honestly, when you see that, what's your first response? Anger, okay. Anyone else? What's your first response when you see that? I'm going to see more. Look at that crime. Now, here, it's, it's not just over there. It's here too, right? We're going to see more of this. Anything else? Oh, you see the picture of the policeman, right? Oh my gosh, because now it personalizes that you're like, you know what, that, that, that could be somebody that I knew, somebody I lived next door to. That's somebody that, that's, a, that's a father of, of kids. Oh my gosh, and we're, we're pulled back from it. Now, I want to flash forward just a little, let's move the story forward just a little bit. The next scene that you see, because you, you're seeing the officer, right? You saw, you saw the window, and they show the window, the window broken. Now we show the officer, here's the officer, and we're thinking all of these, I'm angry, I want to see this officer live, I want to see this officer, you know, make it through this thing, he's in surgery, dear God, I mean, I prayed for him, I think you did too, I don't even know, I don't know him, but it hits you deep, you're like, Lord God, please have mercy on him. Next scene, let's go a little bit further, two boys. You see their pictures. Can you see their pictures in your mind? You see how the story window, police officer, two boys. Now what's your thoughts inside of you? I mean, honestly, what's your thoughts inside of you?
Okay. Think about the families of the boys. The boys have moms and dads who are now, oh my gosh, that's my kid. Good. What else? What do you think? Sad for the boys. Your, your lives are shot. Yeah, you kind of feel like that. Any of you, we're being honest here. Any of you look at those two boys and say, put them away for life. Anyone? We're just being honest here. I'm seeing some heads like that. Anybody willing to do that? Any, any of you guys kind of feel like, hey, look at, the, look at them. Okay, I'm just being honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that's, you know what, when, when a crime is committed, we all agree. There should be justice. There should be prison. There should be, all those things are right. How many of us feel K. Russo? I'm going to come back to that word. How shall they believe unless they hear? How shall they hear unless someone preaches? The term is actually K. Russo. I'm going to give you my personal definition of the term that kind of gets, I think, better underneath the, the Greek term that's used here because I've done a lot of study pulling apart different words that the Bible uses in the New Testament to, to represent what it means for the body, you and I, to, to share the word of, of God. All right? Uh, so, for example, Paul Quite often when it describes what he's doing, he is didaskalain. He's teaching. Now, your Bible might, tra might translate that preaching. But he's teaching. In other words, he's taking the Bible. He's drawing a line. This is an Old Testament prophecy. This is Jesus Christ. This is what this means. How, here's what's happened in the Old Testament. That's, that's didaskalain. It's a very different word, right? Um, the term Russo properly understood is to proclaim the word of God in such a way that cries out, and now I'm going to give you a parenthesis, in a gut-wrenching way, okay, gut-wrenching way, to proclaim the word of God in such a way that cries out gut-wrenching for the spirit to work faith, okay, as much as Luke said, Dear God, would you, would you rescue this police officer from death? Let, let his surgeries be successful. Let him live. So also, God would say, Luke, is there in you this gut-wrenching cry that says, Lord, I don't know these two boys, but they seem, they seem to me to need you desperately. And with great urgency, I desire for them to come to know you as their Lord and Savior. If they do not know you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, they're going to spend a lot of time in prison. That's okay. Don't put them in the prison of hell. Rescue them from hell. I can live in prison. I don't want to live in hell forever. God, would you please rescue them? Now, I'm just going to make an honest admission here. Quite often, that's not in us. Quite often it's not in us. And we, we, we ascribe this word to preachers. Well, how will they hear preaches to them? Well, go preach to them, Luke. It's actually, the term is not preach, but proclaim. And K. Russo has underneath it this sense of urgency and desire for the person who's hearing to come to faith. It's begging God 
God, please work through this word, through your word, to bring this person to, to faith. And now all of a sudden, the word's not just, not just kind of closed in and put into to one compartment like preachers preach and we, we listen. It's actually meant to say, no, all of us, we are the church. And as we go out into the world and encounter people who don't Christ, we shouldn't be surprised by that. We don't say to ourselves, oh, how can you not believe in Jesus Christ? I want to have a, this, a sense of urgency that says, God, would you work through your word to bring this person uh, to faith? I was uh, sitting once again in one of my favorite places this past week, the hot box. We like the hot box. Turn it up. Get the heat as hot as we can stand it um, because I want to be able to walk out of that hot box into a 104-degree day and think it's cold outside, right? That's what I want to be able to do. So I'm sitting in the hot box with a guy who looks a whole lot different than I look, and we're talking, and he's, he says, I said to him, you know, I, I always try to just find some commonalities. He's a, he says he likes soccer, and we talked a little bit about soccer, and, you know, then we kind of, I try to kind of pull it from soccer to just talk. Uh, soccer is fine to talk about. I mean, it's the same as anything else. But I, I really want to talk about something deeper than, than soccer. And so finally we kind of get it to uh, what, what, whatever happens to you when you die. And this young man, you can just watch him, pulls back. Don't want to talk about it. Now, in that moment, I'm not going to jam this down his throat and go, come on now. What happened? No, I'm not going to do that. I just watched. Okay. What did I do? I put a little bookmark here in my head that says something like this. I, I don't, I'm not the person's judge, but I don't, I don't think he has faith. I don't think he does. My bookmark says, Luke, you're going to see this boy a number of times. Keep asking the question multiple ways. Because something inside of me now, I, I, I had a little connection. Okay, I, I want this young man. You know what? He's gonna, he will die. And I want him to know who, who is Jesus Christ. So that's, that's the sense that's, 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 um, that Paul has here is he's not just speaking a bunch of theological words here. Like, hey, you know, how will they hear or how will they know if they're not, they don't hear and how will they hear if, if somebody doesn't, doesn't pre No, he's speaking to the What is our role? And uh, I think it begins, I think it begins in our bedrooms. I think it begins on our knees. I think it begins by saying, God, what's in me that I don't sometimes have that sense of urgency? That I, that I don't have that, that sense of God, please use me in whatever way you want to. I, I'm not the bridge. You're the bridge. I'm just a little bridge. But let me be a kind of bridge, Lord, that, that gets this word into another person in a way that allows them to, to go from this place where to, to them you're just a person or an old prophet uh, somebody lived a long time ago or somebody they don't want to talk about, I'd, I'd like to see them come to a place where they profess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is my Lord. And I know that's not going to happen until faith is born in their hearts. Go to verse 15. And how are they to, please allow my, my um, uh, translation here, how are they to proclaim? It's the word, Kerus. How are they to proclaim unless they are sent? 
Have you been sent? We have. And it's what Paul's doing in this church. He said, I'm sending you out. And I'm sending you out where you really amongst Gentiles and people that you've looked at as, as unclean and unworthy. That's where I'm sending you. And then he does something interesting. He, uh, he quote uh, the Old Testament. And so his hearers, primarily Jews, would know, would know these words. Um, by the way, I, I just, I just kind of put this, this up here. Are you living today with this sense of sentness that I'm because uh, I got to experience it, and I got to experience it this week in a really, really beautiful way at a funeral. It's a funeral for Yagub. That's his name, Jacob. He went to Chapo. He was in this room just a few weeks ago before God called him home. The funeral was moving for me. Um, wish you could all have been there. Partly just to watch people sing. Because the singing is phenomenal. It would be the equivalent of if every single one of you in this room memorized the entire Lutheran hymnal. And then um, one of you decided, sitting in the middle of the sanctuary, that you were going to just start singing, Onward, Christian soldier! And then everybody else just joined in. right? And we all know the song and we sing it. Because uh, that rhythm, that beat, that heartbeat of Jesus lives inside of me, that music that's, that's stirring inside of me and moves me through the day, that was present, and it was beautiful. Guess what else was present? Muslims, Islamics. Some of them sitting out in the crowd. Welcome, come. You know Yagu, you're his friend. We don't hate you. We love you in the name of Jesus. We love you. And they got to listen to words being spoken about Jesus Christ, um, not just by me, but um, if you could have seen Abraham and Solomon stand up and speak these words of God, oh, they're, they're what? They're preaching. They're proclaiming. K. Russo is present. And then came the graveside. And at the grave, I got to see K. Russo come to life um, for, for um, a moment there we gather together and get ready to entrust our brother into God's hands and as we all come close together we do the right things we, we ask God's blessing over um, Yagub Chapo and you will keep him until the day of the resurrection which we Trust will come. But then something happened that was K. Russo. Just really sticks, sticks with it. always will stick with me. Um, we, we read a little piece of, of scripture that takes us into the life of Job. And remember with me that Job, of all the people in the entire Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, gives the clearest most certain and absolute proclamation of what it means to trust in Jesus Christ. And he says, for on the last day, I will stand upon this earth. And though my skin is destroyed by worms, 
my eyes will see him and not another. Job spoke those words in the Old Testament. The conviction inside of him that, guess what? The grave, death, it cannot hold us. It's been defeated. It's everything that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Death, where, where is your victory? Grave, where is your sting? The, the sting of, of, of death is the law, and, and the strength of the gospel is, is overcome, right? It's all of that. And we finished saying that, and Abram stands up, and he's Caruso. He's speaking into the lives of people who I don't, I don't know, but they're Islamic. Here's what he said. If you believe this, if you believe Jesus Christ, you will stand here on this last day and you will see Jesus face to face. But if you do not, you will not. That's how plainly he said it. If you do not, you will not. And I thought, you know, sometimes in our Western way, we try to beat around the bush and be, be kind of be nice to people and fill, fill with grace. I thought, you know what? This is exactly what's needed today. Exactly what's needed today. Not let's kind of walk around things and let's, let's say, but here he's speaking to people he loves and he cares about and they don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and they feel like they're secure in their eternity and they're not. And he's just putting it on the table. Guess what? If you do not, you will not. And I thought, that's K. Russo. That's proclamation. That's, that's what here is, how do I go out as one who lives with a sense of sentness that really goes out into the, into the world and says, I'm, I'm going to, to, to not be ashamed of this, this gospel of Jesus Christ. Go to the next verse. He's quoting, as I said, he's kind of quoting this point. Yes. Oh, you're going to, I'm going to trade off. I'll trade off with you. Okay, that's all. Is this working? Oh, I guess that is working. Here, take that. Take that thing off my ear and that thing off of that ear. Okay, um, thank you for doing that. So now we're going we're gonna to go back into the Old Testament. Look at these words. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Good news. Now, again, as as primarily Jewish people, uh, the listeners would know those words from the book of Isaiah. I'm going to take just a small deviation here because I want you to see this. So we're in Isaiah 52. <clears throat> if you just flip over there for one second, <clears throat> you'll see it. <clears throat> Where Isaiah is crying out to um, to the Jews. Remember, Isaiah is being written during what time period? What's happening in 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 Jerusalem. When Isaiah is being written, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, Mike, a lot of the prophets are writing during a period of time when Israel, had, they are the ones who do not know Jesus Christ. They've, they've moved away from him. And guess what's getting ready to happen to them? God is going to discipline them. He's going to discipline them. And, uh, and so... When Isaiah writes, he's trying to bring this balance between, if you do not believe this, you will not. You will not stand. The balance between that, the law, and if you trust Jesus Christ, you will, you will live forever. He's bringing that balance. Uh, so when you go to Isaiah 50, 52, just look at these words. Awake, awake, put, 
Put on your strength, Zion. Put on your beautiful garments. Jerusalem, the holy city. There shall no more come unto you uncircumcised and the unclean. He's taking them to the last day. Taking them to the last day. Shake yourselves from the dust and rise. Be seated, Jerusalem, and loose the bonds from your neck, captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing. You know who sold them? God did. Sold them into slavery. You were sold for nothing. It didn't cost, didn't cost the Babylonians anything. Nothing. God sold them into slavery. You were sold for nothing, but now listen to this. You shall be redeemed without money. You'll be bought back. Not with money, but with, guess what? The blood of Jesus Christ, Isaiah is foretelling the coming of Jesus. Verse 4, For thus says the Lord God, My people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrians oppressed them for nothing. Didn't cost them anything either. As God allowed the Assyrians to oppress them. Verse 5, Now therefore, what, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing? That's right, the Babylonians. Their rulers wail, declares the Lord. And continually all the day my name is despised. Where are you, God? Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here am I. And now look at these last these words. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Isaiah's words, when they were initially spoken, were despised by people. How dare you speak those words to us? That's your opinion. That's your theology. You can't tell us how to live. And, and so Isaiah did not have what I'm going to call a very happy career. Like he didn't, he didn't, he didn't find himself basking in, in the sunlight of, of appreciation. He did, let's put it this way. He got zero pastor appreciation cards on, he got not, nothing, right? Why? Because people say, we, that guy, somebody needs to shut that guy up. Then, then he realized who we are, we're Israel. And he's speaking to us like, like God's against us. God's not against God, God. We're the chosen ones of God. You've abandoned God. Isaiah's words became beautiful. Guess when? When the people were captured and became slaves in Babylon. Now all of a sudden they said, what was that Isaiah was talking about? Maybe we should go back and Maybe we should go back and, and read what Isaiah was talking about because Isaiah became the deliverer of the gospel to the Jewish people. Okay? So keep that in mind. Go back over to, to Romans chapter 10. Read these words one more time um, uh, in, in verse 15. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Right out of Isaiah. He's saying, guess what? Your feet should be beautiful feet. You're the ones who are to go out and preach Good news. But I'm going to warn you of something. Look at these next words, verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. They have not all obeyed the gospel. 
Israel. He's talking about Israel. They have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Take it out. There are going to be some who hear and believe. And there will be some who hear and reject this word. But take it out. Beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. There will be some who hear and are saved. There will be some who reject. How does faith come? Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. It's a key verse. Um, I keep it in front of myself quite a bit because we are a church body, the, the Lutheran church body, who rightfully places a lot of emphasis and focus on baptism. Rightfully so. We recognize baptism as something that's not just some, some water being splashed out there, but it's, it's, a, it's a work of God. God's at work. And, uh, and yet at the same time, you know, too often I'll hear people say, well, um, it, it's, it's just uh, this, this pastoral act that, that causes someone to believe or that strengthens someone in faith. And I'm like, no, it's the word of God. And I've always raised this question up. In fact, uh, I love to give, I used to love to give my professors uh, headaches with this question, is we, we always will say in a, in a Lutheran church, in fact, I got two of them today. Two baptisms today I'm kind of excited about um, after church. Um, we'll always say, we, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We recognize the creation of faith in your heart through God. I, but here's the question I used to ask my props. Is, is it possible that that child believes prior to baptism? Now, we, 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 whoa, 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 no, wait a minute. Uh-uh-uh, no, 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 this is, this is when it, this is it, this is when it happens. I'm like, well, but no, Romans over here says faith comes by what? Hearing, and hearing what? The word of God. What about, I'd say, well, what about, what about John? Well, what about John? Well, I mean, the Bible, it doesn't exactly come out explicitly and say it, but it, it does kind of talk about him, him and his mother's womb uh, leaving for faith at recognizing that the Savior has come. That kind of sounds a little bit like faith. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just saying it just kind of sounds a little bit like faith, right? And so I, I really have come to, to believe that what's significant for us is to recognize, again, the power of the word of God as that which creates faith. Baptism is, is very simply put. It's, it's, it's a fulfillment. It's doing what Jesus Christ called us to do with water, right? But it's what? It's the proclamation. It's this, Caruso. Uh, it's two parents, a mom and a dad, who are saying, dear God, my, in my gut of guts, please give to this child this gift of faith. Please give to this child this gift of faith. Of all the things that, that will be given to my child, uh, here's one thing I can't give them. I can give them a house. I can give them a car. I can give them all kinds of college education. I can't give them faith. God, please bring these children to faith. The word creates faith. And this is what, this is what Paul is trying to come, come into, into his congregation with is um, not all will believe. 
No. Some do not obey the word of God. Remember obey, kupakuso? Some will not come under the hearing of the gospel. They won't hear it. They won't hear it. That's the term. Uh, but preach it anyway because faith does come from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And now he asks a question. We're going to wrap up with this. But he asks this question, verse 18. But I ask. Well, now wait a minute, Paul. Have they not heard? Haven't they heard? Faith comes by hearing. Haven't they heard? Well, there's a difference between what? Hearing and hearing, right? There's a big difference between hearing and hearing. A lot of people hear it. I hear the word. There's nothing there. No, no connection. Not believe it. So he says, I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. Uh, and now he quotes from Psalm 19 and Matthew uh, 24 is present, is present in this. He says, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Um, that's the psalmist who says, oh, yeah, you know what? Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. I, I, put, I put Matthew 24 present as a shadow in this particular uh, quotation from the Psalms because you remember in Matthew 24 the disciples are gathered together and they're asking Jesus a really critical question. How will we know when it's the end of the world? What's the signs? And uh, he starts to give them signs. Right? And many of them are, are, are well, I'll just call them physiological but when he gets to the end of the signs, he says, and then the word of God will be preached to the ends of the earth, and I will come. And so for, for my lifetime, ever since I've been a kid, and I asked my parents, Mom, Dad, how do we know when Jesus is coming back? This is the verse that they will pull out. Oh, well, um, son, you have to understand this. The, the word of God has to be preached to the ends of the earth, and it hasn't been. There's, there's places over here and here and here where the word hasn't gone out. And I'm like, oh, okay, so you're, you're telling me we've got to wait till it gets all the way. Uh, yep, that's right. That's why we have translators translating the gospel into various languages and taking it out. That's what we're waiting for. And then I go, oh, wait a minute. This is their voice has gone out. To all, this is a psalmist, Old Testament. Has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the earth. That's past tense, isn't it? Am I reading this wrong? Has it not already happened? In the context, the psalmist, when he refers to their voice has gone out into the earth, what is there? Their voice has gone out into all the world. What is the there? You remember? It's creation. It's the stars of the sky. It's the majesty of all that God has made. And so the psalmist is saying, guess what, every human being... All they have to do is look up in the sky. Just look up in the sky. And guess what you're going to discover? There's a creator. There's one who made you. Watch the sun for a day. I mean, don't look directly into it. You'll be blind. But I mean, watch what happens. What's it hanging on? Oh, nothing. How does it keep going? Could you, could you make me one of those? I'd like one of those. You can't make one? Oh. How did it get there? How did that thing get there? And all, all, with all of our brilliant scientific, quote-unquote, educated deal, I, I go, no, listen, 
the, the earth and the sun and the stars and the universes and the galaxies all are this voice across the entire earth proclaiming. They're proclaiming. There's a God who made you and who loves you and made you for himself. And so he asked the question in verse 19 one more time. But I asked, did Israel not understand? Did they not understand? It's there. It's all there. And Israel not only has the stars and all of creation, but they have what? The prophets and the laws and all that God's given them. Didn't they hear? They, they heard, but they didn't hear. They saw, but they didn't see. And uh, it raises the question as we go out into our world today, how in the world did we get here so educated? Listen, there's never been in the history of mankind more access to information than there is right now today. Educators tell me the shift that's going on in education today, you can get the information you want about anything like that. Why are you paying $100,000 a year to go to school? Why would you, are you, what, what are you doing? You, it's all available to you, free, boom. I'm like, yeah, why do they need you, teachers? Teacher says, because you have to know what to do with the information. I'm like, oh yeah, that kind of makes a difference, doesn't it? And so I think about our, our age that we're living in, so educated, uh, I got an explanation for that, got an explanation for that, got an explanation. And I'm like, you know what? You hear, but you don't hear. You see, but you don't see. The one who is directly in front of you, the one who made you, and he made you for himself. His name is Jesus Christ. Did Israel not hear? They heard, and they did not hear. We'll close with a prayer. Lord, as we uh, close out, I think we all know someone like that. They hear, and they don't hear. And, and Lord, within us, create that, that Caruso sense of absolute urgency that simply desires one thing. We want all, all, a police officer in a hospital, two boys in a jail cell. Yeah, Lord, even people that we maybe look at and think, I, I, don't, I don't like that person. We desire all to come to know you as Lord and Savior. That has to be born in us. And it's not natural. It's not our natural tendency. And so birth, birth in us that sense of, of hunger, of gut-wrenching desire for others to come to know you that allows us to live in such a way. Lord, that we become your proclaimers. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for coming today.